Hello everyone, my name is JT Wistersill and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast on today's show. Breaking down week six of the NFL and recapping the NBA's coaching carousel. What a fun ride it's been with so many different candidates and to see who will get which job. There's been a lot of jobs available and a lot of worthy candidates. Some have gotten opportunities, some have not, but we'll get to that in a little bit. And like I said, let's start with the NFL. First, no Thursday game this week, so we don't have to travel all the way back to Thursday. We start with the Falcons vanquishing the Vikings 40-23. to Matt Ryan was sensational in this game. He had four touchdowns, 371 yards, quieting the crowd, at least for now, who thinks the Falcons need a QB. I still think they need to move off of him, but for now, doing a good job, Matt Ryan. Julio was back, and it was huge for the Falcons' offense. He had 137 yards receiving and was dominant all game long. And the defense did force three interceptions in the first half to force this game out of reach for any kind of Vikings comeback. So credit to Raheem Morris, the interim coach, on his first NFL win. And as for the Vikings... Offensive line's a mess. Quarterback's making poor decisions. The coaching is not good on both sides of the ball. Young secondary is not ready to compete. And the defensive line struggles to stop the run or get pressure. This team desperately missed Dalvin Cook. And on the defensive side of the ball, guys in Daniel Hunter and Michael Pierce, both the two dominant defensive linemen, that they really need to help slow teams down on that end of the ball. So Vikings are dead, and the Falcons are too, but at least they got a win for their fans. So moving on, we have the Steelers dominating the Browns 38-7. The Browns were coming in hot. They were 4-1 and in the season so far, and the Steelers were 4-0 and coming into this game. Had to miss one because of the COVID thing. So everyone was excited to see a good game, but the Steelers' defense decided to not let that happen. They shut down the Browns' rushing attack, and they got two picks off Baker in the first half to really put this game out of reach. They did a really good job. The one earlier where Minka just read his eyes beautifully, and then later a frustrated Baker kind of just threw the ball up there and was just hoping Odell would bring it down. But they did a really good job. The Steelers can get pressure with four with guys like Bud Dupree, TJ Watts, Stephon Tewitt, and Cam Hayward. That's a really good group, and they gave the Browns' offensive line a lot of trouble, and Baker was uncomfortable all game long. As for the Steelers, offense it was good to see the run game get going and I thought a guy in James Washington had the best game of his career as a young NFL receiver Chase Claypool continues to impress and it'll be interesting to see what happens for the Steelers they're one of the best teams in the NFL the Browns it'll be interesting to see are they going to be the team a middle of the road teams that beats all the bad teams and loses to the good ones it'll be interesting to see how this plays out and it'll also be interesting to see if Baker's the guy because right now it looks like he might be a bust so interesting story to monitor but moving on we have the Texans winning 42 to 36 in a thriller or the Titans winning in a 42-36 thriller versus the Texans. Derrick Henry was sensational in this game with two touchdowns, 212 yards, and his most and the best play of the game, the 94-yard touchdown run. It is amazing a guy that big and that strong can move that quickly, can run 4-4 speed, and can run, I believe he got up to 20-plus miles per hour. It is amazing, and he is a true freak. Ryan Tannehill was also great again, 364 yards passing and four touchdowns. I feel like he's a sneaky MVP candidate that doesn't get talked about because we're used to last year where it was all Derrick Henry, and this was by far Henry's best game of the season, and he was the star of this game, but I think Tannehill's in the MVP conversation, continues to dominate, and a big part of his success has been A.J. Brown coming back. He had two touchdowns in the game, and the biggest one was the late one he had with four seconds left to force overtime, which they got the ball and ended up winning the game. As for the Texans, Deshaun Watson was sensational and looking much better under their new offensive coordinator, whose name I do not know, but Romeo Cornell's doing a good job as interim head coach, letting the offense work. So Watson, 335 yards, four touchdowns, getting Will Fuller involved with 123 yards. It was great to see J.J. Watt get back to normal as well. He had a huge strip sack in this game. 
to turn to put the Texans ahead and really give them a good lead late. Unfortunately, the Titans just came back. There was not much defense played in this game, as evident by the 42-36 scores. But if we're looking ahead to this week, we just talked about the Steelers and their win, and now we just talked about the Titans. Steelers versus Titans. Steelers at Titans is a huge game this upcoming week. And right now, I think I'll go with the Steelers. I think they're just a little bit more of a complete team. But this is a matchup between two of the arguably three best teams in the NFL right now. So should be a great game. Moving on, though, we have the Colts coming back late versus the Bengals. They were down early 24-0, and they store, and after that, the Colts kind of got settled in, and they store, after a couple turnovers, the offense settled in. They made a huge comeback. Burrow was impressive in this game. Again, he had 313 yards against a really good Colts defense. T. Higgins continues to emerge, and I was impressed with him with his 125 receiving yards. And Burrow had, only, he had one rushing score, and they ran the ball in, so not a lot of touchdown passes, but I thought he did a really good job. He forced it a little bit late, but give credit to the guy in Julian Blackman, former U2, is a great safety and is at the college level and is becoming a great safety at the NFL level as well. I also thought after he kind of settled in, Phillip Rivers was pretty good this game, so I got to give him credit there. The Bengals have an all right pass rusher. The Colts did a good job protecting him. And the biggest thing is the Colts' defense and the adjustments they made. The Bengals kicked a field goal with eight minutes left in the second quarter. And after that, they only had three points the rest of the game. So give the Colts defense credit. And DeForest Buckner continues to be one of the best defensive players in the NFL. Next up, we have the... Broncos defeating the Patriots 18-12. This was the definition of a defensive battle. The Broncos had some success moving the ball on the Patriots, but they were the definition of bend, not break that Patriots defense, giving up six field goals and zero touchdowns. As for the Patriots offense... It was tough because Cam was coming off a week when he had COVID. So he obviously wasn't himself. And you could tell that because he did have two interceptions in the game. Drew Locke wasn't great either, but he was coming off injury. So neither of these quarterbacks were at full strength. The one thing the Broncos did have success doing on offense, though, was rushing the ball. Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman combined for 135 rushing yards in the game. So I was very impressed by Denver's ability on the ground, especially considering that offensive line is very shaky. But when you turn the ball over three times as the Patriots, you're going to lose games. And Denver was able to come away from a win and... Because of the COVID and the, all these different circumstances surrounding COVID, the Patriots' biggest advantage got taken away. Their ability to practice game plan and really prepare and drill guys' responsibilities in their heads. They weren't able to do that this week because of the COVID. So that was a huge loss for them, and the Denver capitalized on that. But moving on, we have the Giants squeezing out a win versus the Washington football team, 20-19. to Yeah, this was not a great game, but give Daniel Jones some credit. He At least he rushed for 74. Four yards did not have a great day passing through another interception, which is all too familiar with him. Kyle Fackrell made the big play of the game with the big strip sack late that was returned for a touchdown. So the Giants were able to hold on to that win late and get the first win of Joe Judge's football career. The Like I said, though, the offenses of these teams are a disaster. But I do want to give some credit to a couple of young Giants players. Darius Slayton, their wide receiver, and Dexter Lawrence, their defensive tackle. Both those guys are future stars in the league and are already trending that way. So I've been very impressed by both those guys' play. And for the Washington football team, it just this offense is going to continue to struggle. The defense is good, but just... They need a quarterback. It is bad throwing Kyle Allen out there every week. And they're just a mess on the offensive line, too. So we'll wait and see what happens. But moving on, we have the Ravens holding on late versus the Eagles, 30-28. to Lamar had two touchdowns and 294 yards. He was I thought he was still pretty good overall. Some people like to criticize him. And no, he didn't close out the game late. But I was pretty impressed by Lamar. When you have 294 yards in total in a game, he had 100 on the ground and over 100 passing. Still an impressive day. 
But the main catalyst to the Ravens' success was their stellar defense. They were able to get six sacks, and Calais Campbell himself had three himself. He was dominant as usual, and he is one of the best interior defensive linemen still in the NFL. His He is a massive human being, and the fact that he can still throw those guys around and get leverage on offensive linemen is amazing. This is probably Wentz game, best, Wentz's best game of the year, too. He had 213 yards and two touchdowns, and they had 28 second-half points. They were shut out in the first half, and they made this huge comeback. They failed on the two-point conversions and a couple other small mistakes, too, but I was continue to be impressed by Carson Wentz. Continues to do a lot with not a lot around him. I'm also impressed by Miles Sanders. Just continues to emerge. He fumbled that huge touchdown run he should have had late, but the Eagles bounced on back, bounced on top of it. They were very lucky. I also think the Eagles need to trade for Odell Beckham Jr. I don't think it would cost much more than a first. And you're telling me you wouldn't rather have Odell than Jalen Rager and whoever else you want to throw a first-round pick in there for? So I think it's time for the Browns to move on from him as well. That marriage just does not seem to be working. But moving on, we have the Bears finally cooling off the Panthers, 23-16. to The Bears' defense continued to dominate with two interceptions and four sacks. And the Bears' offense just continues to do enough, continues to squeak by. A couple throws by Foles, a couple of nice runs by Montgomery, routes, some nice routes by Allen Robinson. Just keep on squeaking by. As for the Panthers, they had a lot of trouble protecting Teddy. As we said, four sacks. It's a bad... The, Panthers do not have a very good offensive line. It is a bad matchup for them when you have such a dominant Bears defensive line. Akeem Hicks continues to really impress, as well as Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan. And the Panthers defense, it's hard to look. They gave, they gave 23 points, but that was a couple times on short fields. But I can't give the Panthers defense credit for shutting down in long stretches this Bears offense. Because as we discussed, it's just not a very good unit. But moving on to our next game, we have the Lions clobbering the Jags 34-16. The Jags, after winning their first game, the Jags won their first game against the Colts. And we're like, oh, the Jags are good this year. Then they only lost to the Titans by three. And then ever since that, they've lost their last, they've still lost the Titans game. And then they lose all those other ones in a row. So they're looking more like the team we expected them to be. And the biggest story of this game, though, was not to focus on the crappy Jags, was DeAndre Swift, who had 116 yards, the most in his young NFL career, the rookie out of Georgia. Kenny Galladay also looked like himself with four receptions for 105 yards. So Matthew Stafford did throw a pick, but continues to do Matthew Stafford-type things. So it was, a, it was a good win for the Lions, and I did think the Lions' young defense looked a lot better this week against the Jags. But, I mean, the Jags have no running game. Their running backs are no-names. Offensive line is very average, and Minshew struggled with two turnovers. So it's just an issue they're going to continue to run into. Keenan Cole was the lone bright spot on offense with 143 yards receiving. That's got to be a career high for him. So we're just seeing who the Jags are and the Lions are going to be this mediocre team that beats some mediocre teams. So be interesting to see how that plays out this year. But switching it, switching to our next game, we have the Dolphins dominating the Jets 24-0. I'm going to really do my best not to talk about the Jets. They're a dumpster fire. I don't know how Adam Gates hasn't been fired. The team is absolutely terrible on both sides of the ball right now. You got the defensive coordinator, Greg Williams, saying, well, it's not my fault we're this bad. You just, It's just a disaster any way you try to spin or look at it. It's so bad that they had Steve McClellan, their really good defensive tackle, nose tackle, was traded to Tampa after, like during the game or after the game. He didn't even get back on the flight to like, you know, you thought he might want to go back to the flight, grab his things, and then fly down. No, he, he drove right down, to, right down to Tampa as soon as they were done with their game in Miami. He just wanted to get out of the Jets as soon as possible. So just shows you what a bad culture they have. But when we're looking at the Dolphins, Tua came in and completed two passes, and Fitzpatrick was fine. He did have three touchdowns, two interceptions, 
And the Dolphins decided to make a switch going forward. Not in this game, but for this upcoming for their upcoming game, two is going to be the starter now. It was a surprise because Fitzpatrick has played well, but he does continue to turn the ball over. And I feel like that's something that can't be overstated. We all fall in love with the gimmick and the tricks and the somehow rushing ability he has, the ability to run for those timely key touchdowns and third downs. But two is the future of this team, and I still feel like he's probably the better quarterback. We'll see how it plays out, but either one thing is for sure. He's going to have a really good defense in this Dolphins defense, backing, backing him up and kind of protecting him, making sure he doesn't have to do too much on the offensive side. But moving on to our next game, we have, how about this game? The Broncos blowing out the Packers 38 to 10. This was a strange game too, because you get the Packers starting out with a 10-0 lead early. You get the Key and Peel pump celebration from Aaron Rodgers having fun, feeling good, but the fun quickly stopped because after they got up 10-0, Tampa went on a 38-0 run the rest of the game. And what what sparked this run was Rodgers had back-to-back interceptions. One of them, he was just a little bit behind on the out route, and then you saw the defensive back was able to take it for six the other way. And then the very next play, he throws a ball, tries to fit it in there, corner makes a nice play, breaks it up, ball bounces up, another interception, short field. So just like that, the Buccaneers have a nice lead, and they rode it the rest of the way. Brady, no, sorry, not Brady, Rodgers was just slightly off all game, and it cost him a couple times. And part of the reason he was off was this impressive Tampa defense. They got pressure on him all game long, especially Ndamukong and Sue looked like Nebraska or Lions Ndamukong and Sue, and it was fun to see him and Rodgers chirp back and forth, just bringing us back to those old NFC battles. Also, for the, for the Buccaneers, Gronk was really impressive. It was 78 yards and two touchdowns, by far his most since he's joined the team. He's mostly been a blocking tight end, so it's good to see that. And the Buccaneers continue to click. A lot of people are jumping out there saying they're the most complete team in the NFC. They might be, but I'm not ready to go there yet. Let's not forget just a leak ago, they did lose to the Bears, who are a really good team. But I don't know if the Bears are the most, but the Bears are definitely not the most complete team. So I do think the Buccaneers still have some issues to work out. And speaking of some teams with some issues, we have the 49ers rebounding versus the Rams. These two teams are so up and down, but the 49ers were able to grab this one 24-16. Jimmy Garoppolo was clearly healthy in this game and looked much more like himself with 268 yards and four touchdowns, getting Kittle involved with the rest of the guys. I thought Kyle Shanahan called some great plays. And for Goff, it just wasn't great. He, he Yes, he had two touchdowns, but they struggled to run the ball. And as we've talked about, when the Rams struggled to run, Goff struggled to perform, and that's exactly what happened. So give the 49ers credit for rebounding in this win, but it, the Rams, I just I don't know what to make of either of these two teams, honestly. We're, I'm going to do my big takeaway later dealing with what we know about some certain teams. I still have no idea what to think of the 49ers and the Rams. 49ers are so ravaged by injuries, and the Rams are so up and down, and the big part of that is the play of golf. So it's going to be interesting to see because I the one thing I should highlight about this game is this is a game where you have two absolute offensive masterminds calling plays who I think make their quarterbacks look so much better than they actually are. So lots of credit to Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan just for being great offensive coordinators. Now moving on to our Monday night doubleheader, the first of which was the Chiefs versus the Bills with the Chiefs winning on the road in good fashion. They really dominated the game. They dominated possession. That was the biggest thing. They had double the yards on offense and the biggest reason was they were able to dominate the time of possession they had the ball for 37 minutes of the game with the bills barely being over 20 minutes of 
of having the ball possession time. So I thought that was the biggest thing. And when the Chiefs can run the ball, it's scary. Clyde Edwards-Lair had 161 yards for his best game as a pro. So it was good to see them get that running game going. And it will only continue to look strong with the addition of Le'Veon Bell, which happy for Bell, he got out of the Jets. I put so much more on the Jets than him not being the player he used to be. He's definitely not who he used to be, but I put more of his struggles on the organization than him falling off some cliff. Also, Josh Allen was just a little bit off for the second week in a row. This Chiefs defense isn't bad. They're streaky. We saw them play well against the Ravens and then play bad against the the Raiders. So you got good against the Ravens, bad against the Raiders, and then they were pretty good against the Bills. I was concerned with Stephon Diggs' effort on certain plays, especially late. I know you're down nine points and it's unrealistic, but for him not to hustle back to the ball a couple of those times, I thought it was a bad look, so... Unfortunately for the Bills as well, I don't think the concerns stop with just Allen being off. This defense has struggled a little bit, and I know this is the Chiefs, but they are giving up 27 points per game, and scoring is up in the league, but this Buffalo defense should be one of the ones that is dominating and shutting people down, and they're just not, and that is definitely concerning. And finally, our last game of the week, we have the Cardinals smashing the Cowboys 38-10. to This was a shocker. I think... I'm, I know me personally, I'll say, I was really confident in the Cowboys still. I thought Andy Dalton could lead them. I thought they could figure it out. I thought the offensive line would get a little better, these young guys as they continue to play together. I thought the secondary could get better. But there's one thing you can't account for when you look at games on paper, just when you look at the names and some of the other stats. It's a hidden stat. It's the turnovers. And the Cowboys had four turnovers. Zeke had two fumbles, which is funny because in an interview earlier in the week with ESPN's Lisa Salters, he specifically said... I'm not going to fumble anymore this season. And then he fumbles twice in the game. So definitely has a fumble, fumbling issue, Zeke does. And getting back to that offensive line, oh my gosh, it's horrible. Zach Martin getting hurt just made things even worse. The only starter out there is Connor Williams, who was the weak link of that offensive line going into the season. So it was a massive concern. They really struggled to pick up blitzes. Buda Baker smashed Andy Dalton a couple times and a lot of issues there. Andy Dalton... Just looked out of sorts and out of sinks. Part of that was the pressure and stuff like that. And it was just a disaster for the Cowboys. And on defense, the effort continues to be the biggest concern. And give Kyler Murray some credit. He made a couple of good throws. The one to Christian Kirk for 80 yards, I thought was the 80-yard touchdown was the biggest. But still only completed nine passes. He's running right now better than he's throwing, which is concerning if you're a Cardinals fan. But you still get the huge win, so there's not much to be mad about. And how good is Buda Baker? Highlighted him with that play later, but he had pick. He had a pick in this game. He had a sack. He is just everywhere. He is a worse version of Jamal Adams to me, so it was a great win for the Cardinals. And talking about the disappointment of the Dallas Cowboys takes us to my big takeaway of the week. And, you know, we're six weeks in, in the NFL season, and it really is amazing how many NFL teams it feels like we still don't know their identity or who they are, if they're good or not, if they're bad, if they're tanking. Now, sometimes it's obvious you get the Jets of the world and you get the Seahawks, who are obviously contenders, but there's a lot of middle ground teams. But I want to pick out two teams that it seems like we go back and forth on, as in the media, I'll say, or just the general public goes back and forth on if they're good or not. And it's time for these two teams to face reality or for us to face reality of the perception of what we have of these two teams and make it official of what they are. First, I want to start with my good team. I have a good team and a bad team. And the good team is the Bears. I know everyone wants to tell you they're the worst 5-1 team in NFL history. But you just got to realize who the Bears are. They're a really good football team, and it's because they have one of the best defenses in the NFL. And the biggest reason is, well, why would they make such a jump this year to last year? They didn't get anyone back. They didn't make any big additions. But they did make, any, they did make a huge addition just by getting someone back healthy. 
It's Akeem Hicks. He was hurt last year, and he was coming off a Pro Bowl season when the Bears went on that unbelievable run where they won the NFC North, and Mitch Trubisky actually looked like a starting NFL quarterback. Crazy to think that was only two years ago, but Hicks is still extremely dominant on the interior. Also, the addition of Robert Quinn has been nice, too. Another guy can get consistent edge pressure, and you factor in Khalil Mack, obviously, what a beast he is, as well as some other guys, and they can rotate in to get some pressure. Robert, Robert, Roquan, sorry, not Robert, Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan are one of the best linebacker duos in the NFL, and Roquan is really starting to look like the player we all projected him to be coming out of Georgia a couple years ago. And Jalen Johnson and Kyle Fuller make up a pretty good secondary so far. Both those guys are performing pretty well. And Eddie Jackson is doing a really good job on the back end. He's one of the better safeties in the league. He gets Sometimes people think he's overrated, but I think he is genuinely a top 10 safety in the league and does make a lot of plays. Also, Chuck Pagano is a really good defensive coordinator. So this defense is Super Bowl worthy. They can, This is the good enough. It's not a Denver Broncos carry you to the Super Bowl, but it's one that can carry you to the playoffs and win you a lot of regular season games, and that's exactly what they're doing. We also we know who Nick Foles is. He's going to make a couple amazing plays, a couple of amazing throws. There's going to be a lot of meh, and he hasn't turned the ball over yet, which has been nice for them. Their running game is very average, but they got some receivers in a guy like Allen Robinson, Jimmy Graham, too, at tight end. Like They got some guys who can just... If they get these short fields, they can take advantage of it. And that's what it's going to be. The Bears are good. They're going to make the playoffs, and they're a top 10 team in the NFL, despite having probably a bottom 10 offense, but a top three defense. So it's just you just got to face reality with them. They're really good. Now, to the bad team you got to face reality with. And I'm guilty of this too, because I went on last week, I was talking about how I thought the Cowboys would be fine. It's the Cowboys. They're bad. And you may think they have a chance, and they're still all right because of how bad their division is. No. The reason they're bad and they're not going to make it this season is the culture. The culture is horrible there. They tried to keep it inside internal, but after getting demolished by the Cardinals, as we highlighted, 38-10, to 10, players let their frustration out. They said, we're not getting prepared well for games. They're kind of calling out the coaching stuff like that. We know they've been ravaged by injuries as well. Key lead to Dak Prescott. The offensive line has one starter on it from the start of this season. Every single other person is a backup, many of which are undrafted free agents, which is an absolute disaster. You get the Zeke fumbling problem. Sure, I think they have a good pass rush, but what's a good a pass rush if you're always playing from behind and you struggle to stop the run? And they do struggle to stop the run there in Dallas. Their front seven, I think, can still be good, but their back end, it doesn't matter because they they can get the ball, the quarter, other quarterbacks can get the ball out within two, one second before a pass rush can even get there because their secondary is so bad. Mike Nolan is not doing a good job as defensive coordinator there. Mike McCarthy's not doing a good job as head coach there. Players are starting to quit on the team. They just want their money. This is a lost season for the Cowboys, even in such a desperate and horrible division. I think the Eagles are actually going to win this division somehow. Or even a team like the Washington football team that I think is building a strong culture with Ron Rivera and that defense. Even them, I think they can beat the Cowboys too. So I know it was only one game and I'm sure Andy Dalton won't play that bad, but this offensive line isn't getting better. The secondary is not getting any better and we'll see if the coaches and players can hash out the differences and just make this a competent football team. But the Cowboys are bad and they're not going to be good. So we need to get that through our heads. So that was my big takeaway of the week for week six. And it was another fun week of NFL football as we get closer and closer to the halfway point. It's amazing. We're only even two weeks away from the halfway point. It feels like the season is still so young, but a lot of good football being played out there. And like I said, I am particularly fired up for Steelers-Titans. I just think that'll be a great game. 
Now, shifting to the NBA, you thought I might not bring up any NBA stuff since we just got through the NBA Finals, but I did want to hit on the coaching roundup, especially because today, I'm recording this on Thursday, October the 21st, there were two other big coaching vacancies were filled, and there's only two left remaining. So I want to get up of what I think about each coach, what I think they'll bring a little bit, and who I think, in terms of the Thunder and Rockets, the only two teams still looking for a head coach, who the potential candidates for those two teams could be. Starting out with the coaching vacancies that have been filled, let's go with the first coaching domino to fall, which is kind of funny because it was the last job to become available, I believe, too. And that's Doc Rivers to the 76ers. Way back when that news first broke, I went over the Clippers replacements and who Doc Rivers, I think, his the best landing shots would be. I thought he would like New Orleans better just because of Zion, the young core. I think he'd have more time to win. But he does end up going to Philly, which I think was definitely the second best option Considering duos like Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid don't grow on trees. Now the problem with that duo is we don't know, still don't know if they can play together. And they might have to break it up, which is really concerning. And that's why I was a little surprised he would go there. I feel like they could trade either one of those guys right now and get one of the top three picks in this year's draft or next year's draft because teams are looking for guys of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid's caliber, but still a really good roster. And despite Doc's playoff flaws, we know they're gonna they're, we know they're gonna have a good regular season record. They should have a top five seed, and they'll at least make it past the first round of the playoffs. Which some winning in Philadelphia is, I think, all they want to see. So very few head coaches on the market. In fact, none have the resume of Doc Rivers. He is still a champion despite the disappointment that was the Clippers season this year and the past few seasons. So I do like the hiring for the 76ers. Just interested that Doc chose there. And now let's shift to the team that gave Doc the boot in the Clippers. Of course, Tyron Lue took the job. He was the front runner for the job in the Pelicans as well. And it seemed like for the Sixers a little bit, but in the end, he goes back to the Clippers. And I think it was the best move for the Clippers. He was inside the building last year. He had a chance to build a relationship with the stars and Kawhi and Paul George. He has worked with a star in LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, two stars before and gotten production out of both those guys. So I think it was a really good move by the Clippers to bring in Tyron Lue. I also think it was a really good move by Tyron Lue himself to bring in Chauncey Billups on his coaching staff. This is a guy who was part of the Clippers radio broadcast last year and is a great cerebral mind, has a great cerebral mind of basketball as one of the best point guards to play of the 2000s, I'd say. I know he's not an all-time point guard or anything like that, but he's Mr. Big Shot for a reason. So I like the staff they've built there. Totally do not agree with Steve Ballmer's statement that Ty Lue is the best coach in the NBA, especially, I know he won a championship, but he did win it with LeBron James, and if he was the best coach in the NBA, why didn't you sign him a year sooner? So, I think Ballmer's just a little crazy, but that's to be expected with a guy like him, right? We know that's just who he is. He's a little psycho in that regard, so, but good move for the Clippers, bringing in Tyron Lue. Next up, we have Billy Donovan signing with the Bulls, and I'll give Billy Donovan credit. I was not a fan of his in OKC Thunder going into this season, but I thought he, what he, the coaching job he did with those young guys, the development they showed, along with Chris Paul's leadership, obviously, is a lot of credit to Paul. I thought it was a really good job and really well done by Donovan. So I think it's a great pickup for the Bulls, getting a guy who knows how to develop talent and win because they have a lot of young talent there in Chicago. And speaking of a team with some young talent that needs to be developed, let's go to the Knicks. They bring in Tom Thibodeau. No surprise. He'd been out of coaching for a little bit. And there's one thing we know about Thibodeau. He's going to win you games. He just he wins games. He's won everywhere he's gone. So he's going to win. 
Will it come at the expense of your young guys' minutes maybe and the longevity of their career? Yeah, but I think the Knicks are just so desperate to win. They brought in Thibodeau, so they will win. It's just their players will see how long their careers last as we have seen guys like Joakim Noah and Luau Deng wear down a little sooner than they should have because of how many minutes they played in their younger years. Moving over not too far, staying in the state of New York, we have the Nets bringing in Steve Nash. And the biggest thing here was the relationship. KD and Kyrie wanted Steve Nash, so they got Steve Nash. And he's obviously a great former point guard player, great knowledge of the game. He's like a souped-up version of Chauncey Billups, what I just talked about. Does he have coaching experience? No, but the most important thing is the relationships and managing big personalities, which Steve has always had to manage a game. Now he just has to manage some of the biggest personalities in the entire NBA, which I think he can do. Just be interesting to see how it goes. Next, we have the Pacers, who brought in Nate Bjorken from the Raptors' former assistant. And the big thing here was Kyle Lowry really strongly recommended him and is a huge believer in him as a head coach. So I think that's the biggest reason Bjorken got this job, is how highly his former players speak to him. The Pacers really seemed like they were all in on Mike D'Antoni, and that just ended up falling apart, which I thought was very interesting. So give them—I think they did— I don't know much about Boykin. I think it's hard too, but he is he is a champion. He's had success with the Raptors, and I think it's I think he'll be a solid coach there. It'll probably be a, similar to Nate McMillan. Pacers roster will not, Pacers problems will not be coaching. It's the top end talent of their roster that needs some work, and the newest head coaching addition and the final one that has been finalized as of right now is Stan Van Gundy going to the Pelicans. At first, I didn't really like this move. thought it was kind of vanilla. I just I didn't know what to think. And then I thought more about what a good coach Stan Van Gundy is. He got a lot, obviously took that Magic team in 2008 to the finals. He did a great job of developing Dwight Howard. And even those Piston teams from a few years back with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond, he got a lot out of those guys. And we've seen it wasn't really his fault that those guys didn't pan out. Those were just weren't very good players. He got a lot out of those guys. He knows the game of basketball so well. Listen to him comment games on TNT and you would realize what a good analyst or has a good understanding of the game, I'll say. He's just very good in that regard. So Stan Van Gundy is a really good head coach. I do think the Pelicans made a good move. Another situation, by the way, where J.J. Redick swayed David Griffin to go with Stan Van Gundy. And finally, we have the two jobs remaining that are still available in the Thunder and the Rockets. There are some good candidates for these jobs, but in the end, I think the Rockets is going to be Jeff Van Gundy, and I just really want that to happen. In one of my past episodes, I talked about how badly I want how badly I wanted the Clippers to sign Van Gundy just for the comedy of the relationships. But you throw big personalities like Harden, Westbrook, and Van Gundy in a room, must-see TV, and I really want that to happen. As for the Thunder, I think they should go with Kenny Atkinson. I think he's a really good head coach who got a lot out of the Brooklyn Nets and can continue to develop guys and continue to turn lead the Thunder through this rebuild. They're heading for a rebuild. And Atkinson's a guy who can lead a team through a rebuild. And we saw he got a lot out of those Nets teams and players. So like Atkinson there, I think a guy to watch closely for the Rockets job though, especially is John Lucas. If it's not Van Gundy, he's been heavily rumored. And for the Thunder, I would still like to see Mark Jackson get another chance. I don't know why. It's almost like he's being blackballed, some people have suggested. And it does seem like seem that way. He had a lot of success with the Warriors, just wasn't able to win a title. So it's interesting in that regard that that's still available. As for Mike D'Antoni, I just got a gut feeling that Scott Brooks isn't going to be the head coach of the Wizards for very long, and I could easily see D'Antoni fitting in there, especially because they have a big in Thomas Bryant who likes to shoot the three, so they could continue to run the advanced seven-second offense. So it'll be very interesting to see how these remaining jobs shake out and how these first-year head coaches do whenever the NBA does eventually resume. 
And that's going to do it for this edition of From the Stands. Thank you guys so much, as always, for tuning in and listening. And I'll be back next week to break down NFL Week 7. Very excited about the matchups there. And we'll see if some of those NBA head coaching vacancies fill in or if we get any other exciting trade rumors or news. Either way, I'm excited to see it unfold. And thank you guys, as always, for tuning in and giving me a listen. Signing off.